But I have a question for you. Are you a Christian? Yes. Or are you just religious? You know, a lot of times when I meet people, they'll, they'll find out what I do for a living. And, and, you know, I tell them I'm a pastor. Sometimes I tell people I'm a life coach because it's true. But sometimes, you know, you can tell when people are pretty closed. And so then I just kind of lead with that. But, but then when they find out that I pastor a church, they're like, oh, so you're religious, huh? They always ask that. And I always say, no, hopefully not. And, and I always get this look like, wait, what? You just said you were... So then I try to explain to them that being a Christian is about being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Christ. Religiosity is based in manufactured rules and laws and all kinds of things that other people have imposed on you. Incidentally, I want to I bring this up because I think it's important. You know, a lot of times when Jesus will be talking, he'll say, you've heard it said. You know, Jesus says that a lot of times. And so some people think that when Jesus is quoting that, that he's actually quoting what would be considered a, a law or it would be considered actual, um, mandated by the Lord. But actually, what happened was the religious leaders came in and started to impose all kinds of other rules and laws and all kinds of extra additives to what God originally implemented. That's the difference between Christianity and being religious. And so today we're going to break it way, 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 way down. We're starting a new series on the book of Colossians. I am so excited. Today we're only going to actually, I'm going to give you kind of an overview and we're only going to break down about the first eight verses. But, but really what this comes down to is the true essence of what is a real disciple of Jesus. What does a true Christian, a true disciple of Christ really look like? And what is the thing that characterizes them? So today, as you can see, I have this lovely fruit bowl because the message is called Bearing Fruit, Faith, Hope, and Love. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 8. Now, what's happening here, Colossae is a city, it's, it's pretty close to Ephesus, and Paul actually wrote this book. Paul was actually in prison this is kind of one of his church plants. So a guy named Epaphras came and planted this church in Colossae. Well, what was happening in this city was there were some false teachers that were coming in. Sound familiar? There were some false teachers coming in and they were imposing some extra additive things that weren't biblical, weren't scriptural, whatever. They weren't really implemented from the law. They were, they were, um, a lot of them denied that Jesus actually even came in the flesh. A lot of them were what's called Gnostics, which means um, they elevate everything cerebral, everything um, having to do with intellect. And so we're going to start in verse one. This letter is from Paul. Okay, so Imagine this now. What happened was Paul was in prison. Epaphras went to visit him. And Paul had written this letter because he had a lot of time on his hands. So he wrote this letter. And, and when they bring this letter to the church at Colossae, they would read the entire letter. That would probably be like 
their service. And so they would read the entire letter from beginning to end. So I just want to encourage you, as we go through this series, be reading the book of Colossians beginning to end. It's only four chapters. It is jam-packed, though. But if you could start doing that in your, in your reading time, it will really enhance what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. But today, we have a really specific goal. I have a really specific goal for each one of us as we, as we go into this. So the letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God. Now, a lot of people will come and say, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And the, the way to know God's will is to know God. You cannot know his will apart from knowing him. And you cannot know him apart from knowing what it says in his word. Right? So Paul, I mean, here he is imprisoned for Christ. He was a, he was a religious leader before he had his his experience where he got knocked off his horse, which is actually literally what happened. So when people say, oh, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what Paul would agree with that. You know, he's just going about his religious legalistic way and gets knocked off his horse by the Spirit of God, by Jesus. And so he understood everything about the law. He understood everything about religion. But then... He got to know Jesus, and then he began to understand everything about grace. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about grace today. So he was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle, which means someone who goes out and starts churches, which Paul did. He was a church planner. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. So now imagine, as we get into this, this is an actual letter Paul wrote, him and Timothy wrote it and sent it with Epaphras. Epaphras brings it back to the church at Colossae. This is what he says. May our God, or may God our Father give you grace and peace. This is a good way to start any kind of form of communication. Is, is to, to speak a blessing. Especially if you're going to bring a point of correction to somebody or even, you know, or... Tell them something that may not be that easy to hear. Always bless people. That's our goal, right? To bless and not to curse. Paul says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God. I really believe this year, um, one of the things that the Lord is really challenging me in personally is an intimate, deep, real time of prayer with him. I mean, I'm not just saying like this religious exercise, but like sitting in my prayer chair. I have a prayer chair. And meeting with him. And I'm telling you guys, it is transforming me. It is transforming my heart. It's transforming my attitudes. And I've always prayed. You know, I've always been a person of prayer, but I just feel like this is a focus that the Lord wants for us to contend for his presence through prayer. And I pray for you. I, I'm praying for you every day. And there's some specific things that I'm praying, and I'll, I'll get into that later. But this, this is the, the way to start praying for people. Is you pray for them and you give thanks 
to God. And I give thanks to God for you guys. You know, we've been through some hard times over the last few years. And you guys are, you guys are some of the most amazing people in the world. And I'm so grateful. I'm so honored to be able to lead you just want to tell you I'm so thankful for you all. It's like when I pray, I see your faces. And I'm so blessed and so thankful for you. It says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Your faith. What is faith? Faith is being certain of what you have hoped for and convinced of what you haven't yet seen. Faith is the thing that separates us from the world. Our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our own abilities. It's in the Lord. Always, always, always. Our faith has to be in him. Because if we put our hope in ourselves or we put our hope in others or we put our hope in our circumstances, we are always going to be bummed out and we're always going to be disappointed. Our faith has to be in God, in Christ Jesus. And, our, and it says, in, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love. Your love for all people. Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Now, this hope isn't talking about like, oh, I hope, you know, I kind of kind of wishful thinking. This is talking about a deep and abiding hope. You know, I talk to people that come out of polygamy, have come out of polygamy, and they say that that's the thing that they didn't have when they were stuck in the religion. They didn't have that hope. And that's a thing Jesus offers us is hope. And today we're going to get to hear from a couple of people that I think are going to inspire you and give you hope that God is still on the throne. God is still good and God is still moving. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I love this. In the message, this particular line, it says, um, it's saying here, um, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. The message says, the lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack. Don't you love that picture? So there is a line of purpose to to heaven for you. If you know Jesus, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, it says it never grows slack. Like there's never any doubt that there is that that good tension that he is always lifting us up, always lifting us up toward the purposes for which he has created us. And he has created each and every one of us for very specific purposes. And the reason that sometimes, I talked about this a few weeks back, sometimes you don't feel confident or you don't feel comfortable in your purpose because you're comparing yourself with other people. Rather than being in the presence of the Lord and seeking him and saying, Lord, show me your will for my life. Show me who you are in my life. That's what, that's what the, the significant thing is about this line that never grows slack. It says it is tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, being kept taught by hope in Christ. Isn't that so cool? I'm going to read that again. The lines of The lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack. 
tightly tied as they are to you, your future in heaven, kept taut by hope. Isn't that awesome? That when we start to lose hope, that's, that's when, for me, those times when I start to lose hope, I start to doubt or I start to think, you know, maybe I haven't heard right from God or maybe this or that. Those are the times where it's like I, I'm, I feel dragged down, don't you? But you know those times when you hear something from the Holy Spirit and you know it's God? Those times, it's like, that gets you through. That gets you through the day. And remember that scripture that says, those whose hope is in him will never be disappointed. So as long as our hope is constantly in him, and that is what Paul is praying for the church at Colossae, that is what I am praying for you, is that you would never lose that hope that keeps you linked to heaven because there is a heaven whether you know whether we're thinking about it or not and obviously if you've lost someone dear to you you're probably your your notion of heaven is a lot closer you probably think a lot more about heaven but that is where our hope is that is where our hope lies we are strangers and aliens in this land we are foreigners but the lord is saying that he has that promise and that hope for us in in heaven, but also for our purpose here on earth, which I love. I think that's so awesome. It says, you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Okay, so the good news. We hear this a lot. A a lot of people around this area talk about the gospel, right? We always hear people are always talking about the gospel. Today, we're going to bring some clarity to what is the true good news, the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, the creator of heavens and earth that that is one with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ, that good news. Not this other gospel that if you work and 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 do more and do more and do more, maybe you'll make it, maybe not. You'll never really know till you get there. That's not the gospel. Is that good news? That is not good news. The good news, it says, this same good news that came to you. I love this. This is the crux of the message. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Isn't that so exciting? This morning, we sent our missions team to the Philippines. This same good news is going to orphans. This is going to children who have grown up in the slums. Our team is going to bring the message of hope, the message of the gospel of grace. Aren't you just, oh man, that just, that amps me up. Miranda lives with me and, you know, last night we were praying and, and you know, and I just, I encouraged her and, and a couple of the other people that went, I said, you know, you're going to a third world country. And it is going to be hard. I said, I am not going to lie. It's going to be hard. I mean, I don't know how many of you think missions are glamorous or exciting, but like literally they have to take a shower with a bucket. They have to use the the restroom in ways that are unimaginable. And it's going to be hard. They're all staying in this. They're staying in the orphanage. It's, I mean, it's going to be rough, but I just... I told these young people, I said, focus on what the Lord's doing. Don't focus on the conditions. I said, it's going to be different than America. That's why you go on a mission, because it's different than America. 
It's not the same. But they are taking this good news. So can we pray for them right now? Father, we thank you for these people who have surrendered themselves to you, Lord. We thank you that you know what you're doing, God, in all of the circumstances surrounding this missions trip. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit. I pray for protection for everybody on the missions team. Pray for the leadership, Lord, that you would give them great wisdom and insight. Lord, I pray for divine appointments. I pray that many, many, many people would come to know you as a result of this trip. And we thank you and we bless you for this gospel, for this good news in Jesus' name. Amen. We also have um, one of our, one of our um, small groups. An entire small group went on a cruise together. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it sounds great, huh? <laughs> Too bad they didn't invite me. But anyway, um, it says this same good news that came to you the good news, the gospel, that's what, that's what gospel means, good news. It doesn't mean anything else. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus plus nothing else. Grace plus nothing else. The same good news is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit by changing lives. Okay, you get this? It's bearing fruit by changing lives. That's what the gospel does. It changes lives. So I'm going to challenge you today. We're going to do a little bit of a fruit inspection later on. But, but it changes lives just as it changed yours, your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I was talking uh, with a couple the other night, and I said, I still, I don't understand grace. I still don't grasp it fully. I, you know, I think it's human nature for us to think that there's, there's something more we need to do to make things happen. It's really hard for us to believe that we just receive, we believe, and we receive what Jesus has done for us. Isn't it hard for us to really grasp that? That's why that, that song, Amazing Grace. Sing it with me. How sweet the sound. Sing it out. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we don't understand your grace. Lord, we can't comprehend it, but we're so thankful. We're so thankful. You know, um, you guys can come on up. As they're coming up, I, I, was, I was trying to describe grace to someone yesterday. I said, grace is like, like you're drowning in the ocean of your own sin. And you're looking around for some way to save yourself, some way to figure it out. Oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe, maybe I... Grace is that Jesus throws you the life raft. 
That is grace. Not that you can figure it out. Not that you can do more. You can swim further. You can do that for a while. You're, and, I, and I'm comparing our efforts to our good works, right? Our good works are not to get us saved. Our good works are not to earn our salvation. Our good works are a result of our gratitude for what God has done. Where it says here, it says, you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Now, um, I want to introduce you. Oh, by the way, I want to say, so this art This is actually the original Greek um, book of Colossians. This is the letter. Isn't that so cool? Angela Smith did that. Isn't that amazing? Um, But I want to introduce you to my dear friends, Dave and Lucinda. Come on over. Don't be a stranger. I showered. (laughs) I lovely. If I can get through this without crying. Love these two, and I, I, you know, I hesitated to have them come up um, because I, I don't want to um, harm them in any way. They're very, very new Christians, but I feel like this passage, where it talks about this good news, is bearing fruit by changing lives. I want you to. I, they're going to share their stories with you, and I want you guys. You know, I know. Um, Coming out here years ago, we had all these grandiose ideas of, I want to say right now unequivocally, I love the Mormon people. I absolutely love the Mormon people, but I do not love Mormonism. Dave and Lucinda are both, they go way, 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 way back. She's a daughter of the pioneers and she's a, a descendant of Joseph Smith's brother. And um, Dave's family goes way back to, do they come over with the handcarts? I mean, these guys are like dyed in the wool. And I, I'm so excited to share them with you. Um, and I know a lot of you know them because they are just amazing and special and precious But they are Christians now. They are not religious anymore. Hallelujah. So, who starts? Kate Lucent. Ladies first. <laughs> Thank you, Jody. Um, <clears throat> God was working in my life, but I was unaware of it. A good friend said to me, read the Gospel of John. I agreed. I read it. And then um, a few days later, we had a discussion about it. A week or so would pass, and he would say, read the Gospel of John. And I would agree, and I would read it again, and then we would discuss it again. And um, this cycle repeated um, intermittently um, as we went through probably about a year. I read the Gospel of John again and again and again. 
I was squeezing it in where I could. I was very busy. I was always in a rush. Doing what? I had so much work to do. (laughs) What kind of work? Church work. At the Adventure Church? Uh, No. (laughs) We didn't know what the Adventure Church was. (laughs) Never heard of the Adventure Church. Um, but I had a lot of duties and um, a lot of work to do, and I, so I squeezed it in where I could. I was always feeling anxious. I was always behind. I tried to appear cheerful, um, but in truth, I was exhausted. Then one day in the fall of 2017, our youngest son, Uh, called and asked me for help sorting out uh, some details from church history for a lesson he was preparing for the upcoming Sunday. Spencer was 37 at the time. He's married, and he's also the father of five children. He asked if I was aware of some specific events uh, that he had come across and had never heard of before. They were troubling and confusing to him. He sent links to the documents in question, and I said I would look into it for him, and I was quite sure I could quickly find the answers. Dave and I are both born and raised LDS, as Jody said, So were our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and uh, my mother is a descendant of Joseph Smith Sr.'s brother, so um, way back. Wow. We raised our children following the same plan, full LDS doctrine and history, all the ordinances, fully active, Spencer served a two-year mission in Taiwan, and uh, he speaks and writes Mandarin, 100% Mormon. I looked over the titles um, to the church history essays that Spencer had referenced, and at that time there were 13 of them. I started with the two topics that everything else depends on the first vision, and the translation of the Book of Mormon. Right away, I saw why he was distressed. I read and compared what I was reading with what I had been taught. May I just add something here? Just to clarify, she went into the LDS.org website. This was not an anti-Mormon website. This was their website, correct? And I will say that I had never in my life ever read anything that was not church-approved. Mm-hmm. Mormon church-approved. <laughs> not Adventure Church. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I compared it with everything that I'd been taught and everything that I taught my own children and a lot of other children that I had taught through the years uh, teaching primary. It was not the same. Mm. I was sick 
at heart. The more I read and compared to my own history books, the worse it got. And this small project grew larger and larger. I read all 13 essays. I followed all the footnotes. I stayed up late, and I got up early, researching, researching. Eventually, everything I thought I knew and was sure of came tumbling down. It was like an earthquake. And there I was in a pile of rubble and a cloud of dust, sitting on our bed. I faced utter devastation, and I said out loud, there is nothing left. Then a quiet thought surfaced that my ancestors had been Christians before they joined Mormonism at its beginning. I said out loud again, I'm holding on to Jesus for all I'm worth. Amen. Yeah, she started it all. (laughs) We were committed LDS members. Um, Our family roots, like they said, go deep, very deep. Cindy was researching this with our son, and she came to me and says, you know, I want you to read some church history uh, with me. Thank you. It happens at home, too. (laughs) You carry a mic at home? (laughs) Uh, We won't go there. So she asked, why don't you uh, study this church history with us? And I says, no, you know, I know church history. I don't need to do that. Um, And so I was not involved in the initial research of church history. But having returned home from church um, one day, I was thinking, I need to go back to church and talk to the bishop and get my temple recommend renewed because Cindy was going by herself and she felt bad about that. Um, And so I wanted to go with her. And so I formulated this surprise that when she got home from church, I was going to let her know. So when she got home, I, I told her my intent and I can't remember exactly if she put her hand on my shoulder or touched my arm or grabbed my hand, but she said, you might want to wait on that. (laughs) So her newfound information uh, about church history through these essays has completely repainted the picture of the church. So at that time was the very first time I ever went online to research the church outside of church-approved reading. 
and I stumbled upon this video by Grant Palmer. Uh, he's a, he was a church historian, but it was my aha moments researching church history. It was a one-hour, 22-minute video, and when I got through watching that, I was mentally on my way out of the church. Together we kept reading, studying, digging, hoping, and praying that what we were reading or that what we would find would be true. We took that LDS puzzle apart, piece by piece, studying every, every piece. And then when we wanted to put it back together again, it didn't fit. Finally, the mental shelves in the back of our minds that we had put all the unanswered questions on, the, the doctrines and teachings just came crashing down like Cindy said. So many teachings, doctrines, scriptures that we had believed and relied on our entire life were fabricated. While standing in the middle of that mental rubble, let me see your hand, we had each other. And when the dust settled, Christ was standing there with us. And we were holding on to him. Amen. Yeah. Six and a half months later, we resigned from the LDS church. She pushed my resign button. I pushed hers. <laughs> they push each other's buttons. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. Um, Sorry. <laughs> and so we had our names removed from the uh, membership records. That was the first time in our lives we didn't know who we were. And that was a scary realization. People says, well, why don't you just fade away or become inactive? Well, the answer was simple for us. It was integrity. We could not in good conscience leave our names on a church that we didn't believe was true. To continue as members of record would place us in direct opposition with Jesus Christ. So we stood for something else. We stood for truth and integrity. So now we're starting over. We're baby Christians, learning and believing in God through the New Testament. We found the real Jesus Christ. And we know that we can be saved by his grace and his grace That's alone. Right. That's right. So in, in May of 2018, we attended the National Day of Prayer. Has anybody attended that here? That was, it's pretty awesome. If you haven't attended, go. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But some good friends of ours, Dave and Liesl Johnson and their son Mark, took us to the National Day of Prayer. And before it started, we were sitting at a table, and Brenda walked up, and she sit, sat down at our table. Brenda that was just up here. Yeah, Brenda, front, front office Brenda. Um, and we talked. Then when the event ended, we uh, were introduced to Jody and Ira. And that was, that was pretty awesome, because within the next two minutes— 
Jody hugged Cindy and I three times each during that period of time. And I was raised German, imagine. (laughs) (laughs) So was it a, a chance encounter or was it God working his eternal plan? Jody will never know what that meant to us. That was just so nice. We were two complete strangers, but we felt her spirit and her love for Jesus Christ. At that moment, we actually felt like somebody, someone special. We attended three or four other churches you know, for a couple months trying to find our home. And because of Jody, Ira, Brenda, everybody that was at the front door when we came in would welcome us. Other people would smile and give us hugs. Everybody here at the adventure, you're now our church. You're our home. So praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you guys. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, including the Salt Lake Valley, and it is bearing fruit by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Y'all, there's nothing I care about. As your leader, I care about nothing else but being known as a loving church. I don't mean a church that's just tolerant or just kind of nice or cordial. I mean really loving. And we're going to get to the secret of how we can be loving Um, because it is the thing that separates the, the true disciple of Jesus. It is the thing that separates the true follower of Christ. It says that, that they will know that we're Christians when the, they see the love we have for one another. The one thing that will help us reach the lost is the love. And that love, it cannot be humanly fabricated. You can't just make a decision, oh, I'm going to be loving now. I mean, you can be tolerant. You can be cordial. You can even let someone go in front of you on the freeway. But is that really being really loving, really understanding what real love is? And so we're going we're gonna to talk about this. It goes on in this passage. It says, you learned about this good news from Epaphras. Remember the church planner, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant. He's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that, and here's the secret, the Holy Spirit gave you. You cannot truly love aside from the Holy Spirit pouring his love into your hearts. You can't do it because you will be tested. And when you are tested, what is going to come forth? What kind of fruit is going to be there? The seeds that are planted the seeds that are going to bear the fruit are the seeds that the Holy Spirit 
plants in our hearts through the reading of the word, through spending time in his presence, through prayer, and through serving one another. And so I want to really challenge you guys today. We're talking about bearing fruit, and we're going to talk about that now. There's There's a word that I believe is is kind of um, prophetic for us right now. It says, it's in Hosea 10, verse 12. It says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow the hard ground of your hearts. For now is a time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. And I know that there are those of us who have areas of our hearts that have become hard. Your hearts have become a little bit cynical. Maybe you've been hurt one too many times. You've been disappointed. You've you've been sinned against. And you've just kind of decided you're just going to close up a little bit. Your heart has become hard. I'm not saying overall, but certain places in your heart, you're just like, nope. You've made little little promises to yourself. No, I'm not going to let anybody get too close. And the Lord is saying, now is a season. Plow up. Plow it up. Allow the Holy Spirit to come in and bring some healing and to bring some, some repentance. But allow the Lord to come into those places where your heart is hard. It says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and do what? Next. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Let's try that again (laughs) for dramatic effect. Okay. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and say it aloud. Bear fruit. This means there should be evidence. If you're a Pharisee, if you're just religious, if, if you claim to be a Christian and yet there's no fruit in your life, I really want to challenge you. Back it up a little bit. Re-examine yourself. Is there fruit in your life? Are you more loving than you were a year ago? Are you more patient than you were a year ago? Are you, are you more generous just saying. <laughs> he says, you should go and bear fruit that, and that your fruit should abide. This means it, this should be an eternal thing. This should last. It shouldn't just kind of fall off. It, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. This is not saying that Jesus is like the big slot machine in the sky. And you just asking, you know, I want a, I want a, a Maserati. And voila, you go to your garage and there's a Maserati there. That is not what this is saying. This is saying that if you abide in him, that whatever you ask is probably going to change. The things you're going to care about are going to change. The things that you do are going to change. The thoughts that you think are going to change. Your actions and your attitudes will change when you're in his presence. When you plant those seeds of righteousness, doing what is right according to God's will for your life as you spend time with him, reading the Bible, praying, getting together with other believers, it's saying that you're going to have fruit that's going to abide. So whatever you ask in his name, then he, he may give it to you. These things I command you, this is not unrelated, right? These things I command you so you will love one another. You know, if, 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 
every wedding, um, they, they have 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I don't have any problem with that because it's the love chapter. It's talking about love. But this is not just talking about the earthly love, eros, or the romantic love. And it's not talking about friendship love, philios. And it's not talking about storge, family love. This is talking about love that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And it says, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is the greatest of these is love. Everything flows through this. First and foremost, our love for God. And then our love for one another. You guys, this is not milk. Okay? I'm, I know this isn't some deep, heavy theological discussion. But I'm telling you, this is the meat of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. You know, <laughs> our pastor, um, he was so funny. One time he he taught this message on love. And then the next week, you know, every relationship in the whole church got in conflict. And, and he goes, you know, I feel like just going back and preaching the same message again because they obviously didn't get it. You know, this is the meat of the gospel. If you miss this point, you've missed everything. You've missed everything. Because he has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. There's no way he can pour his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit if you haven't been forgiven of your sins, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, if you haven't believed that he went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. If you think you're gonna, like Dave and Cindy, work and work and work and work and work. No, we work because we love him. We don't work to gain anything, okay? We work, well, what you gain is, is all of the blessings of the kingdom, the kingdom principles. Um, so let's do a little fruit inspection now, okay? You guys ready? A little fruit inspection. See which one of these you identify most closely with. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, okay, this is the natural, this is your flesh, this is what comes very naturally to all of us prior to knowing the Lord and even after we know the Lord, it says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Okay, I'm going to camp here for a minute. The statistics on pornography usage in the church are just the same as they are in the world. I'm not saying this um, to create shame because I believe shame is of the devil. I don't believe the Lord motivates us through shame. But this is a plot of the evil one. And the Bible says we are not unwise to his schemes. We understand the schemes of the evil one. He wants to destroy your life. Through pornography, he wants to destroy the lives of young people because it's coming to their phone. It's right there. And I just want to say, you know, we sang last week, there's an army rising up. I want to ask you, can we fight against this demonic ploy of the evil one? First of all, if you are a person who is bound by this or addicted to this, I just want to say, 
there is forgiveness. The Lord has forgiveness and he has freedom for you. And and we're going to pray at the end. After we take communion, we're going to pray for freedom. And we're going to pray for an infilling, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. A baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry which is anything that you think about or obsess about more than God. Sorcery, which also includes drugs, pharmacon, pharmacia, whatever. Hostility, quarreling. These are all in the same list. Jealousy, outbursts of anger. Oh, I'm just venting. No, you're not. You're having an outburst of anger. It's your sinful nature. Okay? Selfish ambition. Who doesn't fall into that? Putting yourself before others. That's selfish ambition. Dissension. Okay, this is one. Ah. You guys, don't be so easily offended. Okay? Stop it. <laughs> Should I go back to the part about grace? But I mean it. Stop it. Stop being so easily hurt and offended and don't make the people around you have to walk on eggshells. Be a person of grace. Be a person. The Bible says it is is to our glory to overlook an offense. I mean, I, I I know it's so easy to keep a record of wrongs, but you know what? This is the litmus test. If you think that there's somebody that you're so annoyed with or you're so hurt by or so ticked off, you need to forgive them because what happens if you run into them at the parking lot of Costco? I mean, if there are people and you avoid them or you think, oh no, that is an indication there's something going on in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit fill your heart Don't, okay, remember this again, and I've said this a lot. We don't have any enemies in the body of Christ. There's nobody in the body of Christ that is your enemy. We wrestle not against what? But against principalities and rulers of the darkness and powers. And I want to see that army of righteous warriors, of people who are willing. You know, Jesus says that the, the kingdom of God is taken by people of force, People who are willing to lose their lives. I call them my hundred percenters. One hundred percent. If the standard is loving the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind, some of your strength, then we're good, right? Fine. We're fine. Yeah, I love the Lord. I go to church every Sunday. Or maybe I go twice a month. (laughs) But I do go, right? That's not a hundred percent. Loving the Lord your God. All your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The life apart from that, the life that's a standard, the message of this church has never changed. This has always been the message. Eric used to come home every Sunday. I mean, I always say the same thing every week, you know, receive God's grace and be passionate for God. And it's true. But be passionate for God. You've received his grace. Now be passionate for him and for the things that he's passionate about. See people the way he sees them. Don't see them through your hurt and your offense and your woundedness. Just stop it. I've been hurt so much over the last few years. 
I have been hurt and accused and rejected and abandoned by hundreds of people. And guess what? I don't have unforgiveness toward any of them. Don't have bitterness. It will choke the life out of you. Be a hundred percenter. In the same way you've been... No, she's offended. Great. (laughs) No, she's going to do the food. Thank you. (laughs) Be a hundred percenter. Can you guys be hundred percenters? As we take communion today, I just want to ask you, give it up, surrender, whatever it is. It says, verse 21, these are the acts of the sinful nature. Envy, yikes, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. It doesn't even have murder in there. It's not even on the list. It's saying, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't saying you can't be saved. You can still be engaged in these things. I don't recommend it. But you will not inherit everything that God has for you. You will not get the full blessing that God has prepared for you. But the fruit of the spirit produces or but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Okay, you ready? Love Okay, let me ask you again. Are you more loving this year than you were last year? Or do you have more bitterness in your heart? Do you have more joy a year, than a year ago? How about peace? Do you lay awake anxious? Or do you cast your cares on him? Patience. Oh, this one. Patience doesn't mean just like, oh, standing there. Patience means that your attitude and your mood does not change regardless of what you're waiting for. You, you, you remain the same. That's what real patience is. Kindness, are you nicer than you were a year ago? Goodness means doing what is good according to what God says. Faithfulness, do you have more faith in God than you did a year ago? Gentleness, are you, are you more gentle? Self-control, how about that? Against such things there is no law. And again, when I pray for you, what I pray is that the Lord would reveal himself to you, that you would see him for who he is, and that he would pour his love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit.